on this edition of the Iowa Business Report. They will tell me it was because of this summit that I went back and did this. The return of a unique conference designed to highlight issues and opportunities for rural Iowa communities. We still need more workers in Iowa, but various legislative changes may help. And you'll hear from the fourth-generation CEO of a family business that still calls Boone home. This is the Iowa Business Report for the third weekend of July 2021. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. The 5th Iowa Rural Summit will be held next month, August 18th through the 20th, at the hotel at Kirkwood Center in Cedar Rapids. Last year's event was held virtually. Before that, participants met in Grinnell, but the success of the program outgrew the space there. Bill Menner is Executive Director of the Iowa Rural Development Council, which is spearheading the Iowa Rural Summit. We're really trying to, A, celebrate the fact that this is our fifth gathering of rural leaders from across the state and to continue the momentum that, honestly, if you would have said, what do you think you're going to accomplish by having a virtual meeting in 2020? My response was, well, I hope we can at least share a few important stories, templates. And in fact, we accomplished that. Even though we could only meet virtually last August, we still had some Good things happen, good stories told, and replicable case studies that small towns could take back, even though in that case, they were taking it from one desk to the other in their town and share something. But there is, I think, such a welling up of enthusiasm for human connection this year that I think that the momentum that you could argue maybe took a little bit of a hit in a virtual setting comes back gangbusters. You know, the last two years in Grinnell have been a great opportunity for us to build up the Rural Summit and what can happen there. And honestly, we were bumping up against our capacity. We had 380 people last time and they were hanging from the rafters there at that old middle school turned hotel. The hotel at Kirkwood Center has greater capacity. It's a conference center. We can have up to 500 people there. And even though it's in Cedar Rapids, it's in a rural part of Cedar Rapids. You could almost call it Ely. It's, you know, because I think they even have an Ely telephone exchange. I think it's a chance for us to get back, see each other, tell great stories, and share some best practices for small towns. We profiled the hotel at Kirkwood Center on this program about a month or so ago, and having attended events there in the past, you're right. When you're at the conference center and you look out, and you're looking out at the rural areas of Lynn County at that point, and so it's not the same as a, quote, big city feel. What I always have appreciated about the rural summits that you folks have put on, Bill, is the fact that it's not just a bunch of disparate people coming together. You have some requirements for individuals from communities who want to attend. Tell us about those, because I think that's where the real secret of success for this event is. We really like a small town to bring three people. We think that a three-person team is the best conduit for getting stuff done, because you're not going back as an individual spitting in the wind. You're going back 
and you have a subcommittee already in place, whether it's the mayor or a councilman or a chamber director or an economic developer or a retiree or a business owner, whoever it is from that town, they're coming back and they have hopefully something, a nugget of an idea or a full blown out blueprint for action that they got from somebody else that they're going to take and drop into their town. So that three person team is really important. We try to incent that by creating a great deal for registration fees. If you come as a three-person rural town, you're going to basically get three registrations for what otherwise would be the price of one individual. So there's value in numbers. And if a town wants to bring six three-person teams, that's great. Last year, Atumwa brought, I think, five different teams. Now, some of them were from around Wapalo County, but we welcome them. Initially, going back to 2016 and that first World Summit, we saw value in teams coming, and we just have seen firsthand the impact of having those folks come together, learn together, kind of brainstorm and bounce ideas off, not just themselves and their teams, but teams across the table from them. That sort of rural connectedness is one of the biggest takeaways, I think, and benefits of of our work the last five years. That's what I really like is the fact that you can go to a conference, you come back to town, and you're an island. But when you go to this as part of a three-person team, there's a little more skin in the game. There are more people there to advocate for a position, and you have a better chance of getting that kind of lift that is really important You've got a number of great speakers lined up and a lot of breakout sessions. Give me a few of the highlights that might give people some idea of what's going to take place August 18th through the 20th. I think we're going to start off talking about this issue of how open are small towns to different people. We're going to have my friend Helen Miller, a longtime member of the Iowa House of Representatives, who was a black woman who was the ranking member on the House Agriculture Committee. Helen isn't a native Iowan, but she has come here and she's been here for now almost, I think, 40 years. What has her experience been like as a Black Iowan living in, in her case, Fort Dodge? And how has that acceptance of her and her family, how has it resonated? Where are their challenges? And honestly, what can small towns and rural places do better to be open and affirming and welcoming? How do they become more diverse? That is a challenge. When we think about workforce, when we think about growing populations, if our small towns are known as insular places that build walls instead of welcoming people, that's a problem. And I think Helen's going to give a great perspective. Then at the opposite end is Gary Kroger, our buddy from Cedar Falls, our former SNL cast member, who will talk about coming home after living in Hollywood and having movie star friends and choosing to bring his kids and his family back to Iowa because of the values inherent in our places here. So, I mean, those are, those are two bookend keynote speakers, but we'll talk about childcare. We will talk about entrepreneurship. We're going to talk about philanthropy and how that can drive innovation in small towns. We're going to talk about agriculture and the ag-related businesses that are anchors in a lot of small towns. It makes sense, doesn't it? Iowa agriculture, agriculture technology, but not everybody thinks about that. How do you and the board that governs this, how do you measure success? When this thing is done, you get to late August or the end of the year or this time next year, how are you going to measure success of the fifth Iowa Rural Summit? 
honestly, the way I always measure success is by stories. The anecdotes and case studies and startups and successes that everyone shares with me, they will tell me it was because of this summit that I went back and did this, or I met this person, or I started this business, or our community looked at that and did this. It's that collection of anecdotal evidence as opposed to metrics. You can only count what you count, but I'm more of a, you can only tell stories about great anecdotes and great people doing great things. Bill Menner of the Iowa Rural Development Council. We spoke via Zoom on Wednesday, June 23rd. You can learn more by going online to iowardc.org. That's I-O-W-A-R-D-C dot O-R-G. Still to come, improving the climate for growing our workforce. And in our business profile, a family business that now opens its doors in six states. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by the Iowa Family Business Center by UNI, sponsors of an event in Boone on August 19th called Tour, Lunch, and Connect with the Fairway Family. Learn more by going to AdvanceIowa.com. Word this week of another survey of Iowa businesses showing great optimism for the next six months. But again, finding qualified workers is a challenge. Efforts taken by the Iowa legislature earlier this year may help that, though. Joe Murphy is executive director of the Iowa Business Council. Our members comprise of the 22 largest companies in the state of Iowa, so all told we have approximately 175,000 Iowans on our combined payrolls, our payrolls totaling almost $10 billion each year. And so when you think about the Iowa Business Council members, you're talking about the largest employers in the state of Iowa all throughout the state, as I mentioned. And and so we really do have a good snapshot on on the state's economy and, and where we think it is headed over the next six months. This is the fourth straight quarter that the Iowa Business Council has projected a positive economic outlook. But I do think it represents Iowa's sort of mindset on pragmatism and seeing where things will go. I think that's not necessarily a bad indicator at all. Still well above that 50 point mark, which shows a very healthy level of optimism. But I think it, it speaks to our, our business mindset in this state, which is which is cautious by nature. And that that enables us, frankly, to be more resilient to these turbulent times. And I think that will position us for, for longer periods of sustainable success. About six months ago, as the legislative session was starting, we talked about things that your group might advocate on Capitol Hill. Based upon what we just talked about, Joe, of the optimism, but yet the challenges, what steps do you think have been taken that will help alleviate that to at least some degree in the next six to 12 months? Well, I think the first thing we can look at is the significant investments in the Future Ready Iowa initiative. Uh, the legislature appropriated more than $10 million worth of an increase to the last dollar scholarship program, which will provide opportunities for individuals to go back and get a skill and get additional skills to help employ them in this new economy. There was increased funding for the Employer Innovation Fund as well to, to do similar things. 
So that first and foremost really hits the workforce issue right away. But then when you think about the investment in broadband technology infrastructure, $100 million that was passed and signed into law, a significant appropriation that the legislature took advantage of this year. That's obviously a drop in the bucket on what's needed, and there's a long-term plan for that, and, and we'll continue to advocate for that. But those two things in particular, when you think about how the economy has changed from a workforce need and then also just from a technologically advanced standpoint, those two areas are, are very, very important to the future well-being of Iowa. More information about the Iowa Business Council's quarterly survey can be found on their website, iowabusinesscouncil.org, and you can follow them on Twitter at Iowa Biz Council. Coming up, the evolution of a uniquely Iowa business. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by the Next Generation Leadership Group, preparing family business members for executive-level responsibilities and ownership. For more, go to the Family Business Center tab at AdvanceIowa.com. A few weeks ago, we introduced you to Reynolds Kramer of Fairway Stores, We talked then about an event to be held at their Boone headquarters August 19th, sponsored by the Iowa Family Business Center at UNI. You can learn more about that event by going to AdvanceIowa.com and clicking on the Events tab. In our Business Profile segment this week, we continue the conversation with Reynolds Kramer, the fourth CEO in Fairway history, and the fourth-generation member of his family to lead the company. We're so proud at Fairway. In May, we turned 83 years. Unfortunately, never met the founder, Paul Beckwith. He passed away before I was even born. I'm sure he'd be very proud of the fact that after all these years, uh, we've grown to a company that's digging a site in our seventh state. We have close to 14,000 employees, almost 130 stores altogether, and just continuing to have fun and and grow the business. And obviously founded in Iowa and still headquartered in the same community, as I understand it, where it was founded. Right. Boone, Iowa, that's where our distribution center is, our headquarters are, all the things that we do out of Boone, Iowa. So it's centrally located. It's great as far as all of our trucking needs and just everything. A great community that continues to grow. Now, as you said, you're expanding into your seventh state. That is no small operation. How is it that you were able to keep things on the shelves during the past year with all the supply chain issues? I'm curious as to whether the size of your company allowed you to respond potentially more quickly than some other larger companies. You know, it's interesting. I would almost say that being a small company or a large might not really mattered during this situation. What really mattered was the relationships and the rapport that companies had with their vendors and these other companies. And so, as an example, to have a great relationship for many years, treat people fairly, not worry so much about uh, the little things, but look at the big picture. When we had vendors talking to us, supplies were tight it was really great that the majority of the time they said, don't worry, you're going to get a truckload of this or don't worry, we're going to take care of you the best we can and maybe maybe prioritize us just a little bit more than others. Now saying that, obviously it was difficult when supplies of certain items were just tough to get in general. And here we are 
over a year later and we're still having some of those same supply issues. It's the craziest thing when it comes to the materials, the raw materials, aluminum for cans, just all the different things that are still a problem. And yet when you walk into a fairway store, I'm very proud of the fact that especially over the last year, the majority of our shelves have been full, our meat cases have been full, and our employees have had an awesome attitude dealing with all the adversity. It's something that, as I look at it with the benefit of hindsight, the surprise really should be that the shelves were as full as they were, as opposed to, oh goodness, we had supply chain issues. Because for most of us, minor inconveniences at best, and that's really a testament to operations like yours. I definitely agree to that. And I think when consumers were out looking for things and you saw on TV, they showed shelves of places in New York City that were empty and it scares people. Next thing you know, here they come and and they're they're looking for things. And quite honestly, even in the state of Iowa, there were other companies that people visited that they were out of some things and their shelves were empty. And so once again, when it comes to market share, I think we were introduced to new customers for the first time. And so once again, what's the silver lining of COVID and all those things from a business perspective, we got to meet some new people. Well, it's a matter of being poised to take advantage of opportunities, even in a situation like that. If you hadn't built up the rapport you had, you wouldn't have met those new people because they would have turned around and gone right out. Correct. I tell you what, we're living in the Midwest with the positive attitude that people have in our communities, it's just a great place to be. So you're the fourth CEO, the fourth generation of your families to be involved with the company. Was this something that you had sought from the time you were young? Because when I talk to many people involved in multi-generation family businesses, there are some who come to it from the time they're born. There are others who never want anything to do it, and a sibling does it. There are others yet who come around later in life. What was your story that led you to this chair? I think I saw an opportunity to work for what I perceived to be from growing up and listening to just a great company. Now, you know, you could say that uh, I'm a little biased because I'm, I'm in the family, but I think we're all smart enough to know that uh, sometimes even family members in family businesses, it's not the easiest go. And maybe the talents aren't there for certain things, certain positions. You have to find your niche in, in the organization you work for, and especially in a family business where there's sometimes more opinions than, than other places. I just knew that once... I graduated from college at Luther College in Decorah, and I made the decision I'm going to continue with Fairway and go full-time and then work as assistant manager and become a store manager. That was where I said that I was just going to continue to work hard and really deal with what luck is all about. And luck is where opportunity and hard work meet. Did I ever imagine I would be the CEO and president of Fairway stores? I think I did from a competitive standpoint. But I was also smart enough to know you're not sure how things are going to work out. And there's a lot of timing issues. There's a lot of opportunities that, you know, people can either take the reins and really go for it or not. And at the end of the day, you know what, things worked out. And I will tell you that there is being a family member, you know, there is a part of me that I've always felt like I have a responsibility to the entire family and however I can serve in that capacity. I just have to continue to make things better, take them from where they are 
and get them even better one day. And so that's my role now. I'll retire one day and we'll find you know more great people to help run the business. And it would be amazing if we get to a fifth generation one day, but it gets harder as less and less family members work in the business just because of the way things go. I know I have a responsibility and I, I, I take that very seriously. And nobody handed it to you. <laughs> you know, the truth is that when you're family in a family business, you are fortunate because you get the door open for you to step foot in. But once you're in, boy, it's totally up to you. And <laughs> uh, being family sometimes is even tougher than not being family. Well, there are a lot of dynamics that we've talked about in this program before where it is more challenging because you can't have a fight at work and then not bring it home to Thanksgiving dinner, potentially, if the protagonists are members of the family. But it also is a a responsibility, and you've already touched on that. You don't want to be the generation that doesn't take it further, doesn't grow the business, doesn't let it move on to another generation. That's a big responsibility as well, I trust. For sure. When I was looking through some of the data and they talk about the research and family businesses that survive and second generation third generation, the percentages, I've always heard that the third generation normally screws it up. And so we always joke in the family that, you know, we got past that and and everything's great. And now we're in the fourth, but you're right. What a responsibility. Mm -hmm. And actually it's twofold. I want to make sure that Fairway continues along a great path for the family that owns the company, but it's even bigger than that. It's 14,000 people bigger. It's all these employees that count on they're great benefits. They count on their days off on Sunday. They count on their vacations. They count on great wages, their medical plans, all these things. That's what's also a driving force. Reynolds Kramer of Fairway Stores. We spoke via Zoom on Friday, June 11th. And for more about the tour, lunch, and connect with the Fairway family event, go to AdvanceIowa.com and click on Events. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR Extras and IBR Business Profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.